Now, we had several points, and I talked about last time on marriage, what the Bible says about marriage. I talked about its origin, and we're not going to go through all this again tonight, but marriage is one of three institutions that were divinely given by God. And so you've got marriage, and it shows up all the way back in Genesis chapter number 2. God started marriage, so he gets to give how marriage is. He, he's the one that started marriage. It began with God. He defines marriage, and that's God's business. We're living in a generation where they've tried to change what marriage is, but you can't change what marriage is. God's already set it in stone. That's God's to have, and he's the only one that can change it, and he's not changing. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not changing the Lord, but you've got marriage, and he started human government, and he started the church. Those are divine things that God started, so we've got to be careful when we deal with such things. And so marriage is a big deal. It's a big deal. And we read about it and studied on its origin. We also talked about its prerequisites. Did you know the Bible says not to be unequally yoked with one another? It says that in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter number 6. We're not to be unequally yoked. What that means is saved people ought to marry saved people. Christians ought to marry Christians. A Christian doesn't have any business marrying a Muslim. They don't have any business in that. You say, well, I can't believe you're against Muslims. Well, I'm just telling you that's just the truth. That's what the Bible says. Why would you marry somebody that doesn't even worship the same God as you? Matter of fact, they don't even have a real God because Allah is not real. You heard it right here. Amen. You say, how do you know he's not real? God said he's the only God, and I believe him. That's what the Bible says. I believe he's the only God. There's prerequisites. I even think Baptists ought to marry Baptists. It just works better that way. Church of Christ can marry Church of Christ. Catholic can marry Catholic. And all down the line, you say, what happens? It works a whole lot better that way when people do it that way. How can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. You ought to be agreed if you're going to walk together. Sure, you can sure walk a whole lot easier if you can walk together. A whole lot easier. Okay. We also talked about its model about marriage, the model. You say, what's the model? Well, the model was in Ephesians 5, and God talked about Christ and the church. And he likened marriage unto Christ and the church. That's the model of marriage. And he likened Christ... He uh, typified the husband. Now, we realize the husband's not Christ. He's nowhere near Christ. But the role that he plays in marriage is the role that Christ plays with the church is what it's talking about. And then you've got the church is typified by the wife. As a matter of fact, the church is the bride of Christ. And that's how it's typified. And so, anyway, there's roles to play in marriage. And so that's something to, important to know about. And there's a wife's role. There's a husband's role. We talked about all this last time. And so no reason to get back into that tonight. Just a little bit of review. But let me say tonight, number four, and this is new. Let's talk about marriage and its function. And its function. Now you can ask this question, why marriage? Did you know there's a lot of people that just say, I'm not going to get married. And I think that's okay. God doesn't say you have to get married. But there are reasons for marriage and God did start marriage. And there's a reason for marriage. You say, what's the reason for marriage? Well, for one thing, take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter 9. Now we'll get in the Bible. Genesis 9. Genesis 9. We'll be in it the rest of the night. Genesis chapter 9. We major on the Bible, not philosophy. You get in the Bible, you can, there's no argument with the Bible. Genesis chapter 9. You say, who's over there in Genesis 9? A guy named Noah. I guess you've heard of him. He built an ark. Remember him? 
Noah, God used him to build an ark. There was a flood came on the earth. You know what happened during that flood? Anybody that didn't get in the ark, they drowned and they died. They were a terrible, mean, rebellious generation the Bible speaks about. The Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness, that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and nobody believed him. He said it's going to rain, and nobody believed him. But yet they believed him when God opened the windows of heaven. But it was too late then because Noah and his family were safe in the ark, and God closed the door. And when God closed that door, there wasn't anybody opening it. Noah was in the ark and his wife. And Noah had three boys, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they had three wives. And that means, that's eight people. There were eight people with all those animals in the ark. That's all the people that was there. Everybody else on earth died. Even science, even though they hate to admit it, they agree that there was a flood sometime or another. Well, no kidding. We read about in the Bible. If they just read the Bible, science would be a whole lot better off. All right, Genesis chapter number 9. Genesis chapter number 9, the flood's over. Noah comes out, and look what it says in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. You say, what's that mean? means to fill the earth. Replenish means to fill. Be fruitful and multiply. He said, no, it's just you eight now. You got to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth back up. And one reason for marriage is to populate the earth. That's one reason for marriage. That's God's way and God's plan. And God chose marriage to fulfill this task. Now take your Bible and go to Hebrews 13. Now you say, well, what happens when somebody has a baby that... They weren't married. Well, you don't, there's nothing wrong with that baby. Thank God for a baby. But it's not God's way, it's wrong. You say, what do you do with a baby like that? You love it and you raise it and you teach them right. That's what you do. Hebrews chapter number 13. But it's still not God's method, it's not God's way. God's way is marriage. You say, why? You know, that's how kids are. Why? Because God said so, that's why. Because <laughs> your parents said so, that's why. God said that's the way he set it up. Hebrews chapter number 13. Now this is not popular, but that's okay. The Bible's not popular. People only want those verses that are popular. They don't want the whole counsel of God. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Did you see that? But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. You say, well, you ought to go out there and people that's not doing right and not married, not doing right, you ought to get after them. Well, to be honest with you, God will take care of that. That's God's business, and he can take care of that. But the truth is, my job is just to teach what's right and what's wrong. Marriage is honorable and all, and it says the bed undefiled, indicating the bed is defiled outside of the contents of marriage. And so when a man and a woman come together and they're not married, they're sinning against God. And there's a whole lot more to it than that. As a matter of fact, they're, they're hurting themselves and they don't even know it. They don't even realize it. Because someday they're going to get married, and I've counseled many people, and they get married and they say, well, we wish we would have waited. They always say that. But they didn't. You say, what well, they do, they got ahead of God is what they did. That's usually what happens. You know what these... Girls today, they'll say, but, but he loves me. Well, if he loves you, why doesn't he marry you? Because he doesn't really love you. He's just wanting to desire the lust in his flesh. And you're the object to desire it out of. That's, that's just the truth, ladies. 
You say, oh, yeah, how do you know that? We know everything. (laughs) I'm a man. I know how men are. Men are no good. You can't trust a man. You ladies ought to be amen to me better than that right now. (laughs) Preach on, preacher. That's right, (laughs) ma'am. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, if you're a young woman, you can't trust a young man. You can't trust them. It's just the way to, and used to, you could trust young ladies, but you can't trust them anymore. Can't trust either side. So it's, you got to put safeguards in there. You say, what safeguards? Well, a good thing would be not to be alone together too much. Yeah, so you get alone together too much, bad things happen. But anyway, that's just food for lunch. So we'll do it how we want to. I know you will. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible says marriage is honorable and all. And the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Kind of like that little girl that was in school. She, little girl, she's a teenager. And she was in high school, and she was pure, and all the other girls weren't. And they were making fun of her. And one day they got after her, and they said, You ought to be like us. You're not even cool. And finally, after that went on and on and on, she said, I could be like y'all anytime I want to be. But you could never be like me again. They forget about that. They forget about that. Let me read it again. Mar- it seems like there's a lot of folks saying, oh, I wish he'd quit reading it. Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge, the scripture says. So that's what it says. You say, Why? what's the function of marriage? To populate the earth. To populate the earth. Um. And people talk about sex and things like that. That's only to be done in the confines of marriage, according to the Bible, the scriptures. Now, let me say something else. Marriage is also a good, a good way to raise a family. That's a good reason for marriage. You can raise a family. We got a lot of people in here that are raising families. And I think that's great. Take your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You say, you get teaching on this, you'll have... Men and women mad at each other and everything. Well, that happens either way, whether I teach on it or not. <laughs> kind of like that woman. She was in there in her, the other room, and her husband had a dart board, and she's throwing darts. She had a picture of him up on the wall, and she's throwing, she was missing all around him. She never did hit him. And finally, the husband was in another room, and he said, What are you doing in there? She said, Missing you. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's missing him. Not on purpose, though. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6. Y'all don't know any women like that, surely. Ephesians chapter 6. Talking about raising a family. Look what it says in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. How come? For this is right. It's right for children to obey their parents. That's just the right thing. And they're to obey them, the scripture says. See, disobedience to parents for children is a sin against God. Because this is a commandment. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You say, why should children obey their parents? Because they know more than them. And if a parent's worth anything, they love their children more than they love themselves. You've heard us talk about it, and I used to tell my mother, I'd say, I love, she'd say, I love you, and I'd say, I love you more. And she'd say, no, you don't. I'd say, oh, yes, I do. Sadie does that to us now. We love you, love you, I love you more. No, you don't. Yes, I do. But she doesn't. Because if you've got a child, you understand what I'm saying. They don't love you more. But you, when you're a kid, you think you love them more. But you don't realize a parent's love for a child. 
It's greater than your love for a parent. Even though your love for a parent is great. I'm not saying it's not. But when you have children, you love them more than you love yourself. There's a great love right there. And if a person loves somebody like that, they're not going to try to lead them wrong on purpose. They're going to try to tell them things that will help them. I was talking to my dad the other day, and uh, I was going somewhere, and he said, you need to be careful out on that road. I said, Daddy, I'm 46 years old. He said, well, you're still my son. <laughs> he, I said, well, you're right. That's true, isn't it? <laughs> that's the way it is. Still, that's right. It never, it never ends. All right. He says in verse 2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Then there's a promise with this commandment. What is it? Verse 3, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. You know, under the law, we're not under the law. But under the law in the Old Testament, if children were disobedient to their parents, they were to be taken out of the city and stoned to death. If they did that today, there wouldn't be any kids on earth. It'd be over, you know. But we're not to do that today. We're not under the law, and the Bible doesn't, it tells us not to do that. But under the law, that, there was lots of reasons for that. But see, there's a great commandment for children. If they'll do what God told them, they can live a long life. That's right. Verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we're not to provoke the kids. We've got to be careful with them. You can get on to your kids and discipline your kids, but you don't have to be mean to your kids. If you discipline them, it ought to be out of love. If it's not out of love, you're disciplining them for the wrong reasons. And wrong, you need to cool down before you discipline them. You need to think about that. But anyway, we see that you can raise a family. And children are obey their parents, the scripture says. They're obey the parents. Um, not only that, another reason its function in marriage is to have a companion. Take your Bible and go to Psalms 34. Psalms 34. It's to have a companion in life. God doesn't command you to get married. Many people go through life without being married. And Paul said for a Christian, it'd be better to do that. He said, because you can serve the Lord better. You don't have as many things going on. You can spend more time serving the Lord. But he said, if you burn for the opposite sex, you're better off to get married than sinning. And so you're better off for that. And so it's not wrong not to get married, but if you desire to have a spouse, Psalms 34, look what it says. Oh, Psalms 34, um, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Some have said that'd be a good marriage proposal. That's pretty good. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's what Christians ought to do. A husband and wife, they ought to serve God and they ought to do it together. They ought to enjoy serving God. It should be a wonderful time in their life. And so, see, it's, it's to be a companion. And I don't mind anybody knowing it. It doesn't make me less a man to say that. I think it makes you, uh, does the right thing. But my wife's my best friend. Uh, when she goes to work many times in the morning, she'll call me and talk for a little bit on the way to work. I look forward to that. And many times on the way home, she'll give me a call. I look forward to that. I like talking to her. We've got the same interests. We have the same children. We go to the same church. We have the same beliefs. We really, I'm talking about, we believe almost exactly the same on just about every topic you can come up with. You say, well, there might be some different. There might be, but they're not big topics if they are. 
We believe just about exactly the same. You say, how come? Well, apparently she's raised the same way I was raised. <laughs> That's right. And so we believe the same. We enjoy each other. I, and and I, I think it's wonderful to have a companion like that. See, a good marriage, there's nothing greater in the world than a good marriage. There's nothing worse than a bad marriage, they say, either, though. Not everybody has a good marriage. You say, what do you do if you have a bad marriage? You better get, in the, get back to praying and get in the Bible and get in church and that kind of thing. Maybe the Lord can help you because he can. So we see its function. You say, what do you do? Well, we serve the Lord together. It's to be a companion. We enjoy life together. We enjoy things. The Razorbacks come on tonight at 8 o'clock. More than likely, we'll be home. They're playing number six or eight Alabama. You say, what are you going to do? We're probably going to watch it. You say, you or her? Both of us. When we got, before we got married, she said, whisper those little, three little words in my ear that every girl loves to hear. And I said, woo, pig, suey. And when she smiled, I knew she was the right one. <laughs> it's all right. She didn't say go tigers. Sorry, brother. <laughs> no, she shouldn't have. She'd rather die than say something like, that's like cuss words. <laughs> Ain't that right? See, she's with me on this. You're not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> something else you can grow old together and that happens a lot quicker than you think doesn't it I mean it just seems like yesterday that we were date, dating and got engaged we got a picture up on our mantle of when we got an engagement picture but that's starting to that wasn't yesterday was it that's right yeah, that's exactly right. It wasn't in this decade, and maybe I've been the last, I can't remember <laughs> anyway. It wasn't the last decade either when we started dating. Can you believe it was before the turn of the century when we started dating? <laughs> wow, that's a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, back in the 1900s. It's true, isn't it? <laughs> you say that to kids, and they say, wow, because they weren't even alive. <laughs> that's all right. But anyway, we go way back. We go way back. But you say, what's going on? Well, we're getting older. We don't, we're, we're not elderly or anything like that. But I can tell you one thing. I'm not like I was when we first got married. I promise you that. Times change. You get older and you get aches and pains you didn't used to have. One time there was an old farmer. and Back in the old days, he'd never seen a mirror and he picked one up somewhere at some junk sale or something. And he was out in his barn and he hung it up there in the barn. And for hours he would stare in that mirror. And he'd say, I can't believe I found a picture of my old granddaddy. <laughs> and he'd look at that and say, boy, my granddaddy, I miss him so much. He helped raise me. I can't believe I found a picture of my old granddaddy. Well, after a while, his wife got suspicious. And so one day he went to town and she went out to the barn and see what was going on because he'd been out there so much. And she walked into that barn, and she looked right up into that mirror, and she goes, Huh, you're the old hag he's been spending time with. <laughs> oh, man. I better move on from that one, too. <laughs> but see, it's function. You grow old together. You got to grow old anyway. You might as well pick you out somebody and do it with them. <laughs> Let me say the last thing tonight. And this might take a few minutes, but how about its duration? Marriage, its duration. This is one you don't hear much teaching on or much people talking about or anything such as that. But the Bible's pretty clear about this. 
One thing you need to know is you need to understand what marriage does. Take your Bible and go to Genesis 2. We'll look a couple places on this, and then we'll get in on this. This, this goes along with what I want to talk about. Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. And Adam and Eve were the very first married couple. The Lord made Adam. He said it's not good for man to be alone. So he made a help meet, uh, meet for him. Not a help mate, but a help meet. And he put Adam in a deep sleep. And from his side, he took a rib. And from that rib, he made a woman out of her. And said, so, oh, that's not possible. Well, they found out now that you can do all kinds of stuff. All you need is some DNA and things like that. God already knew all that. He knew that 6,000 years ago. Before man, any other man was even around. Genesis chapter number 2. And Genesis chapter number 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. You know what happens when a couple gets married? They're united. They're one. They become one. One thing that happened when Elizabeth and I got married, you say, what happened? She took on my last name. You say, well, why'd she do that? Well, you'll read here in the Bible uh, a little bit later, um, God called their name Adam. Where's that verse at? Should be right in front of me. But anyway, you say, why'd God do that? Because that's God's business. God called their name Adam, the scripture says. You say, where is it? Chapter 5, verse 2. Look at this, chapter 5, verse 2. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. God did that in the day when they were created. That's what God named them. Now we know that the woman took on the name Eve. But that's why you see a woman takes a man's last name. You say, was that an issue with y'all? No, that wasn't an issue with us. We was both raised the same way. That's the way we believe. And it's the way, the way it is. Now you get in a generation now, people say, well, I'm not taking his name. Well, why would you even marry a guy you couldn't take his name? It wouldn't even make sense. But anyway, that's not here to there. But one thing about it is you become one flesh. Now take your Bible, go to Matthew 19. We'll say something again, kind of along the same principle. Matthew chapter number 19. Matthew chapter number 19. Matthew 19 verse 5. Matthew chapter 19 verse 5. Go back to verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now that answers a whole lot of questions right there. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, that's they too, shall be one flesh. When Elizabeth and I were dating, we were two. But the moment we married and consummated the marriage, we became one. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what the Bible says. Makes you one. And if you're married, you're one. You might be two, but yet you're one, the scripture says. You're one flesh. You're the same body, so to speak. And that's the same thing with a man and a wife. Why would a man want to hurt his wife if she's his own flesh? He'd only be doing is hurting himself. And if a woman hurts her husband, she'd be hurting herself. It goes both ways. We're one flesh. You say, how is that? Because that's how God made us. And that's the picture of Christ in the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's one flesh. He's the head, and the church is the body. All right, now there's more to this. You say, well, what about it? 
Did you know there's only three reasons, scripturally speaking, to dissolve a marriage? Now, I'm going to show you what the Bible says on this subject. Now, here's what people say. Well, they say, well, oh boy, he's going to get on divorce and all this stuff. Yeah, I am going to get on. I'm going to show you what the scripture says. You say, oh boy, they don't let divorced people come to our church. Now, hold on a minute. We want every divorced person at our church we can get. We want every non-divorced person we can get. Brother Robert was teaching last night at our institute. He said, we want people that's got tattoos and people that don't have tattoos. We want people that's never been on drugs and people that used to be on drugs. See, we're not so worried about your past. That's not the thing. If, if, if a church didn't take divorced people, they wouldn't have a, there wouldn't be a church in America. That's just the way it is. We've got many people in our church that's been divorced, and many of them are in uh, positions where they do a lot of, that God uses them. And so don't ever think because somebody's been divorced, God can't use somebody like that. Because God can. After all, God's been divorced. You say, do what? Oh, you didn't know that? Take your Bible and go to Isaiah. I'll prove it. Go to Isaiah chapter 50. I'm back up what I said. Now, let me just say, most of the time when a divorce takes place, I'll agree with what most people say. Most of the time, you can say both sides have some to blame. That's usually true. But I will say there's one divorcement where both sides didn't have anything to blame. Only one side did. And that's the divorcement of God and the nation of Israel. Now, that's a little bit different kind of marriage than this physical marriage we're talking about. But in the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people. And by the way, there's still his chosen people, and he's going to take them back in the future. And I can show you that in the Bible too, but I don't have time tonight. But, in Isaiah, but I will show you Sunday night on the second coming of Christ. Isaiah chapter 50, look at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I put away? Or which my, you say, who's the mother? Israel. He's talking to the daughters of Jerusalem. Where's the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I put away? See, a divorcement is a putting away. That's what that means. Turn to your right. The very next book is Jeremiah, and look in chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Israel was backsliding against the Lord. You say, what was their backsliding? They were serving false gods. They committed spiritual adultery against God because they were serving other gods. They didn't have any business serving other gods. Let me just say, we don't have any business in America serving other gods. We need to serve the God of the Bible. You say, well, there's so many people coming uh, over that they believe the Koran. Well, they know what we believe when they come. They can adopt our beliefs or not come. So I look at it. I'm not adopting their beliefs. I'm a Christian. Jeremiah chapter number 3. That doesn't mean I'm going to be mean and hurt people. I'm not saying that. I'm not going to do that. Christians don't do that. It's the other side that does that. Genesis or Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah 3 verse 8. And I saw when all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery... I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. That's pretty plain, isn't it? You say, what'd she do? She committed adultery, but it's spiritual adultery. And God put her away. He gave her a bill of divorce. And because of that, they went into captivity and bad things happened to them. Did you know if bad things are going to happen to America if we keep doing what we're doing? God's hand's going to be taken off of us. I'm afraid we're already too far gone. All right. But I still believe there's a lot of good people in America. I love my country, and I think there's some great people in America. But there's some bad people, too. All right? Um, you say, what about its duration? Then what are the reasons for divorcement? Okay? The first reason. 
And it goes along with this, Matthew chapter 19 again in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. The Lord spells it out clearly and plainly. If you've got a red letter edition, this is Jesus talking. If you don't, it's still Jesus talking. Either way, it's him talking. Matthew chapter number 19. I actually don't have a red letter edition, but I'm all for them. Matthew chapter number 19. I do have one, but this one's not one, I guess I should say. Matthew chapter number 19, verse 9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife. You say, what's he talking about? Verse 7. They said to him, why did Moses then command to give her a writing of divorcement to put her away? Notice the Bible defines what putting away is and what divorcement is. They go hand in hand. So verse 9 again. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except, then there's an out. Except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth not commit adultery. Did you know according to the Bible... That if a person has a spouse and that spouse cheats on them with another person, that they've got a right for a divorce. Now let me just say this. I never recommend divorce. I've never recommended divorce in my life. But the truth is, according to the Bible, there are grounds for it. And God set the grounds. And if you get a divorce, you're not in trouble with the Lord for those reasons. You know what some people say? They say, I've had a person from a different religion call me one night and they said, I know you're not the same religion as us, you're Baptist, but our preacher said that because we're, we're getting divorced, we're dying and going to hell. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but your preacher doesn't understand what sends people to hell. Getting divorced doesn't send you to hell. Rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior sends you to hell. That has nothing to do with your salvation. Absolutely nothing. You've got to know the Lord is your Savior to go to heaven. And if you don't know Him, you don't go. It doesn't matter how many times you've been married or if you've never been married. That's immaterial as far as being saved is concerned. You say, oh, I don't believe that. You don't have a verse in the Bible. There's not any that says that. But the Bible does say if a person has a spouse, if a man has a wife that runs around on him, he's got a right. If a woman has a husband that runs around on her, she's got a right for a divorcement. I think it's always better if they can work it out. Sometimes they can't. But it's always better. It's always better. All right, take your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll see number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The second reason for divorce in the Bible granted by the Lord. You say, well, what if I've been divorced and don't have one of these reasons? Well, God forgives us of anything. What you need to do is just get back, keep coming to church and get in and serve God. That's what you need to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You're welcome here. We're glad to have you. Matter of fact, you're more than welcome. We want you. 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Why am I in 2 Corinthians? I knew that didn't look right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Here he gets talking about marriage and divorce and all those kind of things. And he gets down in here. And he says in verse 12, But to the rest speak I, not the Lord, even though this is all given by inspiration. God allowed him to say this. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not. Now a brother in this case is not your biological brother. It's a saved person. We call each other brother and sister around here. That's what the Bible teaches. And if any brother, any saved man, hath a wife that believeth not, then she's not saved. 
and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Let's just say that a saved man marries a lost woman. You say, what should you do in a case like that? You stay together is what you do, and you pray to God you can win her to Christ, what you do. That's not a reason to get rid of her. You knew that when you got married. Or how about he gets saved after they get married, and she refuses, she doesn't get saved. Well, you still try to stay married is what you do. But in this case, if she pleases, to, she says, I'm going to stay with you even though we don't agree on this Christianity stuff. Verse 13, and the woman which hath an husband that believeth not. Now, obviously, this woman's a saved woman, but her husband's not. So it works both ways. It's not a male or female thing. It's either way. And if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. If he's willing to stay, let him stay. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Here it is. But if the unbelieving depart, okay, let's just say, say it's a saved woman. And the man's lost, he's not saved, he's not a Christian. He says, I'm not living with you if you're going to be a Christian. I'm not a Christian, I don't want any part of it, I'm leaving. And he deserts her and just leaves. But then believe and depart, let him depart. A brother, a saved man, or a sister, a saved woman, is not under bondage in such cases. But God hath called us to peace. You say, what's that mean? What that means is they've been loose, they're no longer under bondage, and they've got a right to remarry if they want to. Because they've got scriptural grounds. If your husband leaves you or your wife leaves you and deserts you because you're a Christian, then you've got grounds for divorcement. You say, wouldn't you rather work it out? It'd be better if you could. All right, verse 27. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? You say, how can you get loose from a wife? All right, she's got to commit adultery or fornication, which go together, or she's got to desert you. Seek not a wife. But an if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Now tell that to the other religions, say you're going to hell because you got married again. That's not what that said. said you didn't even sin. That's pretty plain. See, the problem is people don't ever study the Bible. They just take somebody's word for it. And that's the mess we're in in most churches today. All right, so let me give you the first reason. Adultery or fornication for marriage to be dissolved or divorced. The second reason. You say, what's the second reason? Desertion. What's the third reason? Death. Death is a reason. That's not even a divorcement, but it does dissolve the marriage. And God says, you want to get married again? You're able to. If you don't, that's fine too. That's between you and the Lord. Whatever you want. Whatever you decide in a situation like that. And so that's a reason for that. It's a, it's a good reason. Um, even though there's scriptural grounds for divorce, let me just say this. Nobody ever wins when the grounds are exercised. Everybody loses, whether they like it or not. And I'm not saying it can't be avoided. I'm not saying you did wrong. I don't mean that at all. I'm not saying that. But how about this case? Number one, you may have lost years of your life with somebody. Number two, you usually have to start over financially. Divorcement's hard on the pocketbook. Number three, you may have to start over socially. Usually most of your friends were together. Usually it doesn't stay that way. You know who else loses? Kids lose. 
If you've got children, they lose. And let me just say, children are in the innocent party no matter what. What do they have to do because mom and daddy couldn't get along? And so they lose. You say, well, how do they lose? Well, number one, they don't live with their, both their parents anymore. And so that's hard on them. And then they have to spend every other holiday with them, this holiday, and then they had to go to the other house, and then this house, and six weeks in the summer, and every other weekend, who knows whatever, whatever works out like that. It's a mess is what it is. You know who else loses? Your grandkids. You say, well, we didn't even have grandkids when we got divorced. Yeah, but if you had kids, you had to know it was coming. Because surely they was going to grow up and have kids someday. That gives you grandkids. Me and Elizabeth, we both come from broken homes. And we love all of our parents. We're not talking bad about any of our parents when we say that. We do. We love all of them. But you know, Christmas and holidays is hard when you have to go to four different sets of grandparents. That's hard. We loved them all and we wanted to go to all of them. But it's not easy. And a lot of you are in the same situation. Just like we are. Same situation. Our parents are all good people. But anyway, whatever happened, happened. That's in the past. It doesn't, we don't even think, we don't dwell on the past. But still, wouldn't it be easier if you could just go to mom and daddy's over here and mom and daddy's there? You could spend a lot more time together. And everybody wins that way. You say, well, it couldn't work out. Maybe it could. That's true. Maybe it couldn't. There's reasons for that. God gives reasons for that. You say, well, we got divorced and we didn't have those reasons. Well, you say, what do you do? You just keep serving God is what you do. Everybody sins. Everybody does things wrong. For, I mean, if it's not that, it's something else. So you get up and you serve God is what you do. Don't just get up and serve Him the best you can. God can still use you. And He wants to use you. Let Him use you. And so anyway, that's the duration. You say, what's the duration? I believe it's for life. I believe that's the way that God set it out for. It doesn't always work that way. But if it can, it's the greatest way. All right, we're going to stop there. I'm out of time.